0: All right, uh, let's see. Quick announcement. I mentioned this in the church email, but um, me and Grant and JP are joining Billy Henderson and my dad going to Mexico a week from Sunday, a week from tomorrow. And um, the purpose of the trip is to go down and just lay eyes on what's going on down there, uh, particularly the new village, of Monte Sinai. Mount Sinai, um, where there's several families that were kind of ostracized from their, um, their village is uh, kind of a religious persecution situation. And uh, so they founded a new village, and I wanted to take some people down and just see, you know, kind of how moving forward, how, how we can be most helpful down there. And uh, so I hope to bring back lots of reports and opportunities to serve. Uh, obviously, we're going to continue the medical missions that we've done for a long time down there. And there will always be opportunities to do that. Um, but we're looking at, you know, how can we, you know, substantially uh, help this the founding of this city and kind of partner with them. So be praying for that team. We'll, we'll uh, bring the team up and pray for them next week pray for us and pray over our time but uh, please be lifting that time up in prayer pray for safety health all that stuff over the trip smooth uh, passage through any place that we need to go (laughs) last trip they got hung up with all the medicines we're not taking medicines down this time but um, yeah just be praying that God would prepare the way before us and uh, give us a good anointed time down there I'm going to try and take lots of pictures and video and try and bring back the village to us here so we can have a better better mental picture of it when we pray for for the work going on down there. All right. Um, so we've got open, open teaching. So we're, we're, I'm going to just cover three basic topics. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about the Word. Next week we're going to talk about prayer. And then we'll talk about worship. And those three topics are... Uh, they basically make up the middle section of our foundations studies, our foundations manual, and they have to do with cultivating a relationship with God. Uh, The first part of foundations has to do with uh, what is salvation, what is faith, what is repentance, you know, the the basics of being initiated into a relationship with God. The second part has to do with cultivating that relationship. So it's always good... uh, it's always good from time to time to revisit these topics. It doesn't matter how mature you are, how long you've been in the faith, uh, to revisit these topics and take their temperature, you know, and see, see how we're doing. You could call it, uh, I've, I've called it cultivating your relationship with God. You could call it your devotional life. You could call it your daily walk. You could call it discipleship. Uh, all of these words work for what we're talking about in these three weeks. In Acts, it says, in Acts 2, I'll turn there real quick. It says that, uh, you know, after the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost and there were added 3,000 souls, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And in those four activities are contained these, you know, the, the topics of these three weeks the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Um, in a nutshell, these practices are the means by which God transforms us into the image of Jesus. All right, when we give ourselves to these practices, God uses them to transform us into the image of Jesus, which is ultimately his will for our lives. You know, you don't have to... There are aspects of God's will that we need to seek out. But we know very clearly... That what God is up to in our lives, at any given time, is to make us more like Jesus. I like to think of that sometimes. I like to just remember that. I know what God wants. (laughs) And he wants me to be more like Jesus. And he's given me these means of, of grace that I can give myself to, devote myself to, And God will use them to accomplish His will in my life. So, this is not just for new or young believers. Um, These are practices that we should be continually cultivating. They are, to use the agrarian metaphor that Scripture uses so often, we'll come back to it at the end. Um, These are like a garden. These practices are like a garden. And we need to be continually cultivating this garden, weeding this garden, tending to it diligently so that it can produce the kind of fruit that uh, God intends it to produce in our lives. I want to just open and kind of set the tone for uh, tonight by reading Psalm 1. And uh, then we'll pray and say a couple things about the written word of God. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, I pray that you would encourage us tonight, that you would equip your church uh, to give ourselves to those practices that you've ordained in your word, the means of of grace in our lives. Lord, help us to, to see them for what they are, Lord, to see them for the gift that they are. Particularly, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to understand the, the treasure that is the written word that has come down to us in the form of uh, the Bible. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd do more than just instruct us tonight, that you would uh, bring us close to your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, what is the Bible? How do do you answer that question? How do you answer the question, what is the Bible? How would you answer that question, Aval? Somebody asked you. What is the Bible? It's a book of God-inspired writings that God has given us to look back on to see when everything else is kind of crazy. Like, what actually does he want? It's like, not what did somebody tell you or do you feel like, but like, what what does he actually want for you? Yeah. It's a collection of of God-inspired writings. Yeah. How would you... Anybody else? How would you answer the question, what is the Bible? God's heart and intention towards man and man's various responses to the heart and intention. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I were to to give you a good answer to, to work with to that question... And this is kind of what we'll unpack. It's the written word of God. The written word of God. Um, it's not... We call it the word all the time. And it, it calls itself the word. But, but the word of God is, is, encompasses more than just the written word of God. This is an aspect of the word of God. Jesus is called the word of God. He's ultimately the word. He's the word made flesh. Um, There are words that are spoken in a prophetic way that are the word of God, right? But this is the written word of God, and the written aspect of it is very important because it's it's written. It has been said, right? Jesus said, it is written, (laughs) and he referred back to something that had been written down For a long time. And the fact that it is the written word of God means that it carries an extra measure of authority. It's been written, it's been inspired. It was inspired and written, and it's been preserved, and it's been handed to us. And it carries an authority beyond what any random prophetic person would come in here and say, this, thus says the Lord. Because it's written down, and it has been written down, it has been preserved, we can then evaluate other words of God by the written word of God. Does that make sense? The other really cool thing about it being the written word of God is that it persists, it doesn't change. And people say, you know, the Bible is corrupt, you know, how can we even possibly know? But just believe me, trust me, it is miraculously well preserved, the Bible. The written word of God. It is by far the most meticulously preserved ancient text that we have. Does that make sense? Uh, nobody doubts that somebody named Homer wrote the Odyssey. But you get a lot of people who, you know, will get in there and well, I don't know about this, this scripture thing, and I don't know about which which books. And someone just sat around and decided which books would be in it. And said no, that's not how it happened. It's a very, very trustworthy process by which we got uh, what we call the Bible, all right? What is the Word of God? It is the way—the it, it, Word of God, the written Word of God, is the record of God's revelation of himself, all right? It is the record of God's revelation of himself to mankind. It is recorded revelation, right? We just came out of a study of revelation. And right there in the beginning of revelation, God says, uh, he said, I gave this vision, this, this uh, revelation to show my servant John things which must soon take place. And he says, write what you see in a book. He tells John. The Bible is People writing what they've seen from God in a book. Write what you've seen in a book. Moses went up on Mount Sinai and when God was establishing his covenant, a significant moment in scripture, one of the most significant moments in scripture. God coming down on Mount Sinai and delivering, entering into covenant with his people. The covenant of the law is when he gave them the law. And He it says that, Moses received two tablets and they were written with the finger of God. They were the written word of God. And there's something about God's wisdom where he has, he has seen that we need something written down. Right? It's, it's, it's not cultural. It's not Western. You know, it's, it's way pre-Western civilization. Right? Before we were... Before we had libraries full of what we call books, God was writing his word down on tablets of stone to give to his people. What did they do with those? They put them in the Ark of the Covenant. They put them in like the the best, most sacred place that you could. The written word of God was one of three things in the Ark of the Covenant. But they took those stones, well, the second stones, the first (laughs) stones, Moses took them, he threw them down. Because the people were already breaking the covenant. Um, that's another story. But he goes back up and he gets, the, he gets the written word of God again. And it's how to live. It's his will. And they put that in the, inside the Ark of the Covenant. This is the place where God would come and meet with his people. And right in the little compartment under the throne of the earthly throne of God is his written word. And so the written word of God has always has always played a significant role in the life of God's people. He has desired to reveal himself. One of the primary ways that he's revealed himself is by delivering a word to be written down and kept at the center of the people of God. And every time you see, every time you see revival happen, it involves the written word of God. You know, I think of Josiah, right? When, when the kingdom was just on the decline, right? And they go, they're rummaging around the temple and they find the word of God, the written word of God. And they read it and they go, oh my goodness. And they're cut to the heart. And he institutes all sorts of reforms in response to what he found written on a scroll, All right, So the written word of God is what we have in the Bible. We have it, they had it in, Uh, Torah, right, that was the primary, particularly the book of Deuteronomy would have been kind of the the heart of the law. But it it expanded into what we call the Old Testament uh, several hundred years before Jesus came on the scene. So there was, that canon was kind of closed way before Jesus arrived on the scene. And so we have the written word of God in the form of that, what we call the Old Testament. And we also have the New Testament. And the Old Testament is the written record of God's uh, involvement in human history. He created the world, he placed man in the world, and uh, mankind rebelled, and it's the story of how he entered into into special kinds of relationships called covenants, through which he was going to redeem mankind and undo the destruction and death that the rebellion had, had uh ushered into the world. So the Old Testament is the definitive written record of his acts in human history from creation onward. The New Testament is the apostolic and authoritative record of Jesus' life and death, resurrection, and ascension. And it's also the definitive set of teachings on how Jesus has accomplished everything that the Old Testament was revealing about the will of God. Okay, so one, it's, it's not old and new, like we, we get rid of the old to do the new. This is why one of the reasons that neglecting the Old Testament is so ridiculous. Because the New Testament is basically about how the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus. That's the story of the New Testament. How the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus. And and you can't really understand the significance of the story if you don't know what he's fulfilling. Right? I mean, you can't get get one verse into the New Testament without just confronting face-to-face the story of the Old Testament. Right? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then he runs through all of the That's how it starts. All right, so the New Testament is the record of Jesus' life, and it's important that it's apostolic because it is written by the ones that Jesus commissioned to teach people about who he was and what he said. He specifically anointed his apostles to be the ones through which we would learn about who he is. All right, so there are historians that can tell us about this guy named Jesus in the first century AD. And then there's the apostolic record, right? And, and academia likes to equate those two. Like, you've got, you've got these historic texts and these historic texts, and they all give us kind of this jumbled picture. No, no, no. For us, the texts of, of the New Testament are far more. I mean, they are holy Right. They are direct from God. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit, unlike other history. Now, they contain history, but they are something far more special and authoritative than other works of history. Because they carry the apostolic authority that Jesus commissioned his, his uh, apostles with. It's one, of the, it's one of the criteria of the canon of the New Testament is being affiliated and associated and endorsed by apostles, apostolic authority. Paul's letters are authoritative. They weren't the only letters being passed around, but they are authoritative letters because he was a specifically chosen apostle to the Gentiles, attested to and affirmed by the Jesus apostles, right? In no uncertain terms, Paul was affirmed as the apostle to the Gentiles by Peter by James, And so the authority that the New Testament carries is is authority that we submit ourselves to. Right. When it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. The way that we do that is we devote ourselves to the teachings of the New Testament. And we learn them and we see what they say about. We see how they add to and explain and, and bring to a culmination the written word of God. God says, his, the, I mean, God says that, that Jesus is the word. Scripture says that Jesus is the word of God. And that God has spoken in Hebrews 1. It says God, in many ways, he spoke by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so God said, this is who I am once and for all. You will know fully who I am by my son. And we have access to... Jesus' life and words and ministry through the apostolic writings of the New Testament. All right. All right. So that's just like what, what is the Bible? I think it's important to remind ourselves what, why, what is the Bible and why is it important? It is the written word of God. It is the record that we have. It's the record God wanted us to have of who he is, the way he does stuff. Right. It's not. And it's important to to approach it that way, because it's, it's not just a list of things God wants us to do and to avoid. I mean, it contains sections of that. But much more than that, the Bible shows us who God is. And that's the big question that we should ask of the Bible, not what should I do in this situation? But who is God and how can I be more like him? That's how the Bible can really transform your life. Um so two I want I want to just give us now sort of two kind of exhortational ways in which the Bible provide us grace and opportunity to know God. The first is that it's a place that that Jesus has prepared for us to come and see him. Remember in John in the beginning of John where the disciples Well, there's lots of people trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he's about. And some of them demand answers. Some of them ask questions, and and there's these disciples who ask Jesus the question. He tells them, come and see. And then they just go and they stay with him. And they're they're with him and they remain with him. And then they follow him around and, and learn and hear from him. So scripture is a place that God has divinely And graciously and miraculously preserved for us, it's a a meeting place that he has kept for us to come and see who he is. I think that's awesome. That every time you open this, you are coming to see what Jesus is about, what God is about. Our posture in coming to the Word is everything. There's a lot of people who open the Bible. There's a lot of people who dissect the Bible. There's a lot of people who study the Bible. There's a lot of people who make a living teaching the Bible, teaching theology, and all different kinds of ways of approaching the Bible. But the way that God wants wants everybody to approach the Bible is like those disciples approached Jesus. Where he said, come and see, and they went and saw. And to start there. There's a principle in Scripture, all through Scripture, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. If we humbly receive that this is one of the primary ways that God has given us to know him, we will come to this like we're approaching an appointment with someone very important who has given us, graciously, a, a huge slot of time to just come and learn from them, right? If somebody who's the best in whatever field that you're in has said, you know, come spend a week with me. I'll train you in in the way that... that I'll I'll let you into my life. I'll let you into my world. I'll show you how I do things. I'll give you a little, you know... How here's how I got here. Here's how I got here. Here's how I made it to the top. You know, the best of wh- of whatever it is that you would want to do. You know, who's the, who's the best cellist? Who 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 would like if you got to spend a week with them, just you and them? Yo Yo Ma? No. <laughs> but imagine I mean, it just it just opened up and you got okay. Whoa, I have this opportunity now. You know, uh, Will Theo Epstein calls you and he goes, "I really want to show you how to run a baseball club. I want to give you all the tips and tricks, scouting, training, development, business, all that thing. I want I, he, he's built several World Series teams. I'm going to just give you a week. Will you got a week? All right? Come and just hang out. You wouldn't enter that time." like I don't know about this. <laughs> Who does this guy I think he is? You also wouldn't enter that time like, man, when is this going to when's going to be over? Right? You would soak and squeeze and write down everything that you could during that time, right? That's what the scripture is. Except we don't just have a week. We have however much time we'll give it. And we can always come to the Word and just, you'll never get to the bottom of it. (laughs) You'll never learn it all. And it's always there. We have unparalleled access to the Word in America. You know, I was thinking of bringing all the Bibles that I have in my house. And I I didn't because it was going to be too much work to carry them all. But I'm sure most of your homes have multiple Bibles. It's an amazing opportunity that we have. It's an audience with it's a direct access to all the ways that God has interacted with his creation his heart behind everything he does, A definitive statement about what really are his motives. Right? We have access to all of that. It's amazing. So come and see, I think is one important phrase that needs to be in our minds as we, as we think about approaching the word. Do we, do we come to see? Do we come to soak in and learn and be curious and be open to what God is revealing about himself. Because we can come and we can have all of our issues with the way that he chose to get this written down. And that, you know, it keeps us at a distance. And the thing is, we'll never really get to the bottom of some of those questions that irk us until we really do humble ourselves and say, God, first of all, thank you for writing this down. (laughs) Can you help me figure this out? You know, and God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble person who really does want to know. But he opposes the proud. You know, if you've got some issues with the way that God does stuff, you might not find some of the answers that you're looking for. Right? People all the time were trying to corner Jesus. Right? They took issue with the way that he did things. And he never really gave them what they wanted. You know, He just gave them more questions and more confusions and then their minds were blown. Yeah. <laughs> what? I wanted to read in John, just uh, something along these lines. John 14, uh, 7, verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled Saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Right? So there's something other than learning that, are, that is the lines on which God teaches his people. It's not mere learning. Now, I'm all for education. Right. We, we want to be educated. We want to grow in knowledge. We want to be as knowledgeable as we can. But that's not really the primary lines on which God communicates his truth to us. They marveled because he was teaching things, but in their eyes, he he didn't have learning. He hadn't studied according to their view and their interpretation of what that means. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Listen to this. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Prior to a full grasping of what Jesus says, of what God says in his word, is a desire to do his will. right? And there, are, there, there is understanding that remains locked to people who really don't want to do God's will but still want to check all this stuff out. And you see this all the time in people's lives. They'll they'll start quoting scripture and you're like, yeah, but, (laughs) you know, well, how come the Bible says this? Well, I saw this and it's full of contradictions. The contradictions just evaporate when your will is to do God's will. Right? And I even think that the Bible is the way it is because God doesn't want people. He, he doesn't want it to be a slick package. Right? He, he taught in, parable, in parables so that those who have ears to hear would hear. And those who didn't have ears to hear would remain blind and hardened. That's something of what he's getting at here. If you want to know, well then, by all means, come and eat, you know, come and see. But if you want to, if you want to get in here and just kind of mess things up, then you're not, it's going to be, it's going to get really hard. It's going to get thorny and rocky for you as you try and dig into the word. Does that make sense? It does, is it, conf- I think that it is confusing at times. It is difficult at times. I think that's by design. Right? Some of the things that Jesus said were difficult and confusing and hard and divisive. And that was by design. And Jesus was saying, I'm just delivering to you the word of God. It's up to you to decide whether you want to soften yourself and do my will and be open to this. Or remain hard and convinced of your own position. Remain convinced of your own view of the way life should be. Oh, the way that a godly life should be, right? It's only when we lay those things down and soften our hearts and humble ourselves that we really begin to see the authority behind what's in the word of God. And the difference is the one who, he says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him is no falsehood, has, Moses, has not Moses given you the law? It's like, you guys have the written word of God, yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Why, who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Um. And then he sums it up by saying this, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And judging with right judgment is first coming and I want to do the will of God. I want to know it so I can do it. You know, it's the difference between the wise men and King Herod. They both were seeking Jesus to worship him. (laughs) Two very different motives. One wanted to eradicate him. One wanted to eliminate him as a threat to his own rule. The other, the wise men, sought to bring him gifts because they had seen, they were believing what had been revealed to them about who God was. And they were going kind of on a hunch, but they were godly men. Right? Maybe this should have been an epiphany sermon. You know what epiphany is? That's the... Um, They had just kind of heard, and they took off with gifts. Right? I I think that I don't have that kind of faith, that kind of curiosity to go and be where where Jesus might be, where the Messiah might show up. But when we come and see, we, we are home in the word. Right? This is home to us. And if it feels like a foreign land, it's because we haven't been reshaped by... God's heart, God's desires. And so But this, we come and see and it becomes familiar and it becomes a place of home for us. Uh, The second second kind of big encouragement or exhortation is that the word is a place for us to be transformed. So the word is a place for us to come and see, to come and be with God. To meet with him, to just steep in who he is. And it's also a place for us to then be changed, to be transformed. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12 do not be conformed. Some translations say to the pattern of this world, but it's it, it's this age. Don't be conformed to this age. Remember, we talked about this age and the age to come. The end of the age is coming. Right, and so don't get conformed into this current state of things because this is not the end, the final destination. Don't get conformed to this age. It's like when the when the Israelites were in Goshen, you know, they had a lot of stuff provided for them, but Joseph didn't want to be buried in Goshen; he wanted to be buried in the Promised Land. And as good as Goshen was, and it got really good, it wasn't home. And so. We, we don't want to put down roots and be shaped by our age. And, and everything in the world tries to do it. But what, instead, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. As we begin to think through things differently, our lives begin to look different. Right? The, the, this age has us thinking in a particular way. And when we come to Jesus, we are, we are made anew. And we are given the mind of Jesus, the mind of Christ. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible, steeping in the Bible, meditating in the Bible, memorizing the Bible, is one of the greatest mind-renewing activities you could ever partake in. Right? Our minds are messed up and they continue to be more and more messed up, right? This device here, devices that we carry in our pockets are designed to hijack our minds. And they reshape them. They conform them in a particular way. I love technology, all right? I'm not, this is not a Luddite sermon. But we have to be aware in any age, we have to be aware of the ways in which that age wants to conform us into its pattern. Our current age wants to make us incapable Of extended reflection. Something that is necessary in the life of someone who wants to know God. Extended attention. Right? I think of when the the disciples went in the garden with Jesus and he's like, could you guys not stay awake one hour? We can't stay focused one minute. I mean, I don't like, when I come to a red light, my, my hand reaches for my phone. Does that happen to any of you? Or like any sort of downtime is like this is gravity, you know? And a lot of people have, have testified to similar things. Like this is not a this is not a, a, a Christian phenomenon. You can find lots of just even worldly thinkers who say something really weird is happening to our minds. But it's part of, it's the package of conforming to this age. And reading the Bible, look, the Bible that was given to us, the Bible that God want us to, wanted us to have, can't be, bo- can't be broken down into TikToks. It can't. I think they probably have tried. Somebody's, someone somewhere has tried to TikTok the Bible. I saw, I mean, there's some weird stuff out there. I saw this guy recording the whole Bible in heavy metal screaming. It was his goal to get through the whole scripture. And he was like, the beginning, God it. And he was just using his, he was like a, a metal, a heavy metal singer. And he was just doing it with the whole scripture. It's like, okay, well, whatever. But the Bible is the answer. I mean, God gave it to it. It's, it's kind of long. I don't know if you realize that, but it's kind of long. And some of the stories are kind of long. And to read it, you kind of have to follow along for a little while and stay a little bit focused, especially if you want to see like more of the big picture. That's not something that our age really is equipping us to do very well, to trace a story and to stick with it for an extended period of time. God gave us a Bible that has stories that you can really only appreciate if you just take it in and shut other things out for for a while for an extended period of time and we all have different amounts of time that we can give to this but the bible can't be digested in little chunks the way that everything is being packaged and fed to us in our present age you you can't consume the bible that way There's just one way that, that reading the Bible is is the perfect answer to like the techno anxiety of our age. It is a, it is a no to frenetic bits and a yes to like linear <laughs> thinking, reflecting, being with God, staying focused for for an extended period of time. It's the perfect answer to that stuff because it's old. It's not of the moment, right? It's not of the outrages of the moment. If you want, if you're worried about the news, go read the Bible because it has nothing to do with the news and it doesn't care who's at war and who's uh, lost how much weight in this, for this role in this movie and oh my goodness, look what happened, you know? Whoa. It's not of the moment. It's poetic. We live in a very anti-poetic age. We don't really know how to deal with poetry. uh, I would say at least a third of the Bible is poetry. We are are Wikipedia. You know, information, give me the facts. I mean, the information, tell me what happens. And all the stories are about plot. You know, what happens next? What happens next? And that's, that's as far as we get. The Bible's poetic. It doesn't care about plot in certain spots. It's about pictures. It's about images. That's not how we think. That's not how our age thinks. It's pre-modern. It's pre-enlightenment. It's pre-digital. It's pre-internet. The Bible is the perfect life raft to to grab onto in in our current age. Um, T.S. Eliot wrote a poem about the modern world, and he called it The Wasteland. And he says, and he, he, the poem just kind of goes through this, it's almost like just different sound bites of Western civilization, like old books, new books, and, and pop culture, high culture. And it's just this mishmash of stuff. And he says, these fragments I have shored against my ruin. Right? He realized that the modern world was just basically eroding any sense of like human Uh, dignity that was left. And he said, these fragments I have shored against my ruin. Talking about the little bits of the tradition that had been handed down to him. Um, But the written word of God is quite a bit more significant than what he called a heap of broken images. This is a beautiful, massive, powerful monument to who God is not changing it's unchanged it's unaffected it has stayed the same Emily showed me uh last night the picture of the a picture of the oldest door in Europe I think there's this door and I've, it's in England somewhere I think it's in the Westminster Abbey yeah they're listening in. uh yeah well, there's some good things about this present age, you know, <laughs> little bits of cool information but it, it's it's a door from ten fifty three this oak door. I was like <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> Hogwarts, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Um but I was just thinking about what that door has seen, and it's it's still doing its thing yeah it 's still there it's still on its hinges. that door is i mean it's a thousand years old, a thousand years old, and this door has just been there. The door doesn't care who the prime minister is right now, the door doesn't care about whatever. Prince William is saying about Prince Henry and all that stuff. That door simply does not care. And that door is going to be here a lot. The Bible is 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 just so perfectly and refreshingly not of the moment. And we need that. We need to be plucked out of the fire that is consuming us and placed in safe haven. That's what scripture is. It is a shelter. For us, and unchain you, we can go and shut that, shut this door, and it is just there between us and <laughs> whatever's coming. That door has kept out a lot of different kinds of things. That's an amazing picture of what I think the word of God is in our lives. Just this old door, way older than anything, anything going. We don't have time for it. I was going to go through, um, not like walk through the whole thing, but I was going to point out Psalm 119 uh, as a picture of a life lived in the Word, in the written Word of God. And the funny thing is that that Psalm almost, it says almost zero about what's in what the written Word of God says. It's all about what it does and why it's good and how I feel about it and how i it, and it. And it's all about, it's just a description of a posture. If you don't know how Psalm 119 works, every verse contains a synonym for the word of God. There's like eight words that are used interchangeably for the written word of God. Commandments, statutes, testimonies, rules, law. There's a couple others. And it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's right dead in the center of the Bible. And it's just this extended verse after verse barrage of like an apologetic for just being in the written word of God, living life in the written word of God. And he talks, I mean, he uses poetry to say, I'm panting, I'm out of breath until I get to your word. (sighs) The world's raging around me, but there is your law. I'm consumed, he says, with longing at all times for your rules. He says, I know more than my teachers. I know more than the Bible. I know more than the theologians because I long for your word. Right? There is is truth in. And understanding accessible far outside the walls of academia to those who long for the word of God so that they can do it and live it. So I want to encourage you to to go and read Psalm 119 and look at this portrait, this beautiful portrait that's been painted for us of the life that I'm trying to describe, right? Uh, The word itself describes this life. Better than I could ever describe. Go read it. And take your time. Take your time and read it and see. Uh, jot this down. I mean the object is the law. That's the whole sub, that's the object of the of the whole psalm, right? And it's laws, testimonies, ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, word, promise, judgments. There's all kinds of different words for it. But look at, look at the, the action that's being described toward that object, right? And just pick it apart, verse by verse. How can a young man keep his way pure? And delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. Just let those wash over you, and 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 call you into that kind of life. It's this is a powerful psalm, one of the most powerful psalms I think in all the scripture because it's relentless and it just never ends. <laughs> You're like, okay, I get it. I'll go read my Bible. <laughs> If I'll ever get out, out of, outside of uh, Psalm 119, if you ever let me out, I'll go read the rest of it, All right? And he talks about the manner in which he interacts with the law and the results that come from life in the Word. And again, if you want to actually know what the Word says, you've got to go actually read it. This is all just about posture toward the word, relationship with the word. All right, so um, another great section of scripture to to meditate on as it relates to the written word of God is the parable of the sower. All right, the sower sows the word of the kingdom. And it's really, it's really a parable about God's word in all of its avenues that comes into our lives uh, through Jesus himself, but also the written word. And also anytime the gospel is preached, you know, the word of God is going forth. And he says, the sower goes out to sow and then there's these four different soils. And so I think my, my challenge to you is to, is to do a soil check in your life as it relates to the written word of God. He says there's first the seed that falls on the side of the path, right? And then the birds of the air come and and eat it. I better turn there so I don't insert my own. Luke 8, I think, is where it is. Yeah. One of the places. The seed falls along the path, falls on uh, the rock or in rocky soil. Some fell among thorns. Some fell in good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And so he says this, the seed is, verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The parable is about different types of soil, right? And so what's the issue with that soil? You know, we get kind of distracted with, you mean the devil comes away? Well, that's after the soil is hard and doesn't allow anything to happen with the seed. It just hits this hard piece of ground, and so it's there for the birds to come and pick. Nothing's been done to it. It's just, it it hits a hard, you know, there's a hardness of heart in the soil. There's a, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know it. Or there's a pride, you know. I know this already. And what happens with the word in those lives is nothing. It just comes and it's taken away and you can pour all the seed you want on the road, none of it will go anywhere because it's hard. And so what needs to happen if, if, that's, if that's your heart, what needs to be done with that soil is it needs, to be, it needs to be broken up. It needs to be... This is where God opposes the proud, right? There needs to be a humbling. So that God's grace can come and so that the word can actually begin to take root in your life. So it could be, you know, you could just have a hardness of heart. And so that's why it's, you know, it just seems like it's going in one year and out the other. Is your heart soft? You know, are you coming to see God? Are you coming to know him? Respond to his love. Respond to his grace in giving us the word. Or is it just kind of a hardness oh, i gotta I think I gotta do this, you know we've got to break up the hardness and soften our heart toward God. uh the next soil suffers from shallowness, it's rocky, and it says that it springs up, but there's no roots. the roots don't go down, and this is a need you know this this. Soil needs rocks to be cleared. It needs to, it needs to have some more depth. Um, I would say that if, if the soil of your heart is, is shallow like this, if it's rocky like this, then what's needed is a deeper conviction of the radical change that God calls us to when we turn from our old life and enter into a walk with Jesus, it's a rebirth. We have reoriented ourselves towards all of life. And it's not just one happy area, hey, the gospel addressed this need in my life. Yay! No, God was asking for all of myself to come and follow him, for me to leave everything behind. And so this is someone who is selective about the ways in which the gospel applies to them and is really thankful for the ways in which it does but just kind of ignores the other things that the gospel wants to call them to. Does that make sense? And in that way, it's a shallow, it's an incomplete working of the word of God. And so, yay, it's great. And they'll rejoice with the rest of us at certain things about walking with God, about responding to his word but then other things will not so much. And it says that they believe for a while and in time of testing fall away, right? When the challenge comes, when the hardship comes, when the cross comes, oh, I don't know if I signed up for this. I signed up for the yay. I didn't sign up for the woe is me, right? But the seed has to go all the way and we need roots So that when the testing comes, we know, we know what the word of God says. Then it says the seed fell among thorns. This is, I mean, this is always the challenging one for me. What fell among thorns is those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and the fruit does not mature. This is thorns. Thorns. This is, the, this is the, the affliction of divided allegiance, divided attention. It's not a singular attention. And so, yes, we see it. We want to do it. But I got to take care of this. And I got to take care of this. Ooh, look, I like doing this. And there's a divided heart. And so the word just kind of hangs out. But it says it never matures. It never grows. It never goes anywhere. And the response in this kind of soil is you need pruning. (laughs) You need pruning and weeding. Things need to be cut out. Things need to be removed that come in between you and real flourishing in response to the word of God. Something's got your heart. Something is pulling your heart away from God. And you need to allow him to prune that out of your life. Come and take the weeds out and the thorns As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Right? It doesn't mean that they, they know everything, they learn everything, everything clicks for them. It says they, they hold it fast, they treasure it in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. They just let it stay, and they keep watering it. Right? It takes patience for a crop to grow. This is why we've got to cultivate these practices in our lives. Has anything crept into your relationship to God through his written word that's revealed something about where your heart is, where the soil of your heart is? The good soil is a deep desire to know God. Just a simple trust in the fact that this is the way that he Revealed himself to us. And so I love it and I hold it fast. I don't think I know everything about it, but I hold it fast. And that actually gives me much greater access to understanding in God's word than the most advanced theologian out there. Here's the word of God. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart. I want to do this i want to know god through his word whatever the cost and persistence patience that's another key you can't really have crops without patience you can't put it in there the best soil you put seed in it's all fertilized it's, it's, it's good right moisture level right nutrient level and then you just got to wait and you got to wait and you got to wait and if weed comes up you got to pull it and you got to wait some more Right. And so it's not always a every day it's whoa, oh my goodness, I'm just living in the word, you know. Sometimes it's just, how's the soil? Looking good. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you. There's this thing pulling my heart. Lord, I lay that down at your feet. I want to know you. There's this thing that challenges my faith and this test coming up that I'm not sure about. Lord, let the roots go deep. I don't want the trials of life to cause me to wither away. Keep me here. Just hold fast. Hold the word fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Amen.